this morning, I'd like to offer some reflections on something we can inquire into as a way of seeing if we can really be here. This being here, part common to all the practices, whichever form you're engaging with here, whether it's insight practice or loving kindness or samatha practice. And the way I want to begin is to ask a question. which is in coming here to gather for the talk at 9.45, where you find yourself to be right now as you sit here. Does this feel any different? Is there any posture in the body or mind different right now with the view that we're going to have a talk to listen to than when you come in for a sitting? Is there anything set up in the mind of perhaps waiting for the talk, waiting for something, maybe entertainment, maybe inspiration, at least something to listen to. And I ask this question because this is what I want to point to as an inquiry for all of us, is the whole mind, the waiting mind, the mind that waits for something to happen. Because inquiring into this can really allow us to start to see all the ways we move away from resting right where we are. Because very often one of the postures that we adopt, both physically and mentally, emotionally, is the posture of waiting. Waiting for a better waiting for a better moment than this one to wake up in, waiting for a better moment before I begin my practice, waiting for a better moment before whatever it is. One way that we can see this posture of waiting is very much in the bodily life. If we have some sense of what that's like to anticipate something, that kind of leaning forward a little bit, just sort of slightly on the edge, waiting for the next thing to be given to us. And it is often a posture that we adopt in relationship to a moment that we're in that we just don't particularly want to be in. Either it's a bit boring, it's a bit neutral, or it's difficult sometimes even waiting away from the pleasant moment, sometimes even being able to receive where we are when it's pleasant can be a challenge to us. So we can wait in preference or because the facility doesn't seem to be there to sit back right into where we are. We're waiting for the next thing. It can become a posture in relationship to dukkha in relationship to suffering very easily and has probably been a wise strategy in the past for us, waiting for the suffering to go away, waiting for a better moment that's not so unpleasant, that's not so painful sometimes. And just as a reminder again, the very useful reflections of what that looks like when we come down to that definition of what is that dukkha, what is that suffering that can be there in this moment that we want to sit up out of and wait for something else to take us away from it. That suffering reflected as association with the disliked, so being in contact with something that we don't like. I expect that's happened for most of us already, this retreat. Being in contact with something we don't like externally or internally. 
you know, says, if, even if all the outer conditions were pleasing to you, this retreat, which is very unlikely, still there'd be something on the inside that was going to be difficult to bear, difficult to be with from time to time. So that association with the disliked, separation from what is liked, when we're separated from what we like, what we like externally or internally, another person, an event, a mind state, a feeling, something we like, even sophisticated spiritual things that we might like, the way we can get our meditation at times. When we're separated from that too, can be the position of suffering, dukkha. And thirdly, very simply in the definition, in the tradition, not attaining one's wishes, not getting what we want, not attaining what we hope it is we're going to attain. This also is dukkha. And to be able to reflect on this, to be able to see very simply these conditions, is to be able to start to allow ourselves to turn towards where we are. But very often, when we come to practice, we don't know necessarily that what's going on is dukkha. Sometimes we just have that sense something isn't quite right, or I'm waiting for the bell to ring at the end of the sitting, or I'm waiting for lunch, or I'm waiting for tomorrow, maybe it'll be better then, or I'm waiting for my next interview. And this is why this um, inquiry into waiting can be really a good flag for us, really a good pointer into pointing us back in to say, what's happening in this moment that's so painful, or so uncomfortable, or maybe boring, or neutral, that we can't quite turn towards. And waiting can be, in a way, our gateway to start to say, aha, I'm waiting here. What's that like and can I turn towards that? So it can become a spiritual habit as well, not just a worldly habit. The subtle ways we might be waiting for the mind state to improve, for the cold to get better before we start really going for our practice, you know, for my sore knees to go, for the hindrances to die down. I'll wait till the hindrances die down. Then I can practice. I'll wait till I've fixed these personality traits that aren't very flattering. Then I'll practice. Then I might be able to be enlightened. So let's just turn the attention for a few minutes towards what the waiting looks like, how we can spot it, how we can see it as a way in. Sometimes the waiting we know is very gross. Gross, not in a judgmental sense, but gross in the big sense. It's gross, you know, the sort of doctor's waiting room type waiting, the twiddling our thumbs, the kind of, you know, this kind of waiting, where with just a little reflection we can turn towards it and say, aha, aha, this is waiting. This is waiting. And we can see this here. It's not that now we're out of the doctor's waiting room, that we don't see that posture of mind. We can see that here too, if we catch ourselves twiddling our thumbs, sighing with kind of just trying to skip over where we are in order to find something better. This too is a flag, a really useful flag for turning the attention. It can be much more subtle than this as well. It can be the middling agitation that's there when we're waiting for the bell to ring at the end of the sitting. It can even be in the walking meditation when we're kind of just anticipating the next step. We're not quite sitting in where we are. We're just kind of, oh, 
waiting for the next step. Oh yeah, that will be the step that does it. In a way, there's a kind of an unconscious assumption there, operating, about what it will be in the future when I arrive somewhere. And if we're not careful, it can become a very strong habit. In fact, it already is a habit. And in a way, some of the practice is to highlight this habit, to say, what are you waiting for? What are you actually waiting for? And do you need to wait? So the question is, are you waiting for anything here? Do you find yourselves ever waiting for something? Because it can even be even more subtle. Sometimes just a very subtle energetic leaning in the body of just kind of lifting out of where we are, not quite wanting to sit in fully in our seat, in our being, in our body, in our mind. Just this very subtle leaning out, like a small movement that we would hardly notice. Sometimes even the motivation behind a very fierce going for it in our practice. Sometimes there can be a sort of huge fuel behind our practice which has many, many benefits. But sometimes it's worth looking at that even if some of the motivation is coming from waiting for me to change, waiting for me to be better, waiting for me to be different than how I am. This too is a subtle or gross form of waiting for something other. So looking at the different ways this can happen in the body and mind, in the realm of thoughts, and sometimes just in the energetic body of leaning in, leaning forward. One of the things we need to look at with regard to this is a confusion that we have at the root of this movement of waiting for something. And the confusion that we have is that somewhere, somehow we believe that peace will come, or fruition will come, or rest will come, or whatever it is we seek will come when something else finishes. You know, in our life it may be when that difficult person leaves work. You know, once they've left, then there'll be peace. You know, once the neighbour stops banging on the pipes next door, then there'll be peace this kind of peace that's associated with things coming to an end, which there is a kind of relief in that. There is a kind of peace in that. It's the kind of peace that's there when we're in the kitchen at night, unknowingly, in the very silence of the night, and we didn't know all along that the fridge was making that hum in the background until the fridge goes off. And when the fridge goes off, And then there's that silence, that peace. This is a relative kind of peace or ending that comes when things come to an end, when things come to finish. And this is, of course, something that we all recognize, that we know. When our knee stops hurting, sure, it's nice, it's much easier. You know, There is this kind of relative experience there. But without knowing, it, without knowing it, we confuse the cessation that the Buddha spoke about, the third noble truth, 
cessation, the cessation of suffering. We confuse that very easily as meaning when something comes to an end. When this event that I don't like has come to an end. When this mind that I don't like has come to an end. When this painful feeling in the heart has come to an end. Because we assume that peace is found when something difficult has ended. But what was the cessation that the Buddha spoke about? Because he also spoke very clearly that it was not about events having to come to an end. It wasn't about a conditional kind of peace that is waiting for the fridge to finish or is waiting for the heart to change. That the cessation that he spoke about was a cessation which was independent of all the conditions of coming and going, all the conditions of beginning and ending, of arising and passing. What is that cessation, that ending, that is not dependent on the relative comings and goings of things? So unless we're willing to question the view that knows peace as when things come to an end, We won't make ourselves open to the availability of the cessation that the Buddha spoke about, which is referred to as the deathless dimension that is not bound by birth and death. And this requires then that we let go of waiting to enter in very simply to right where we are. We're asked to let go of waiting for events to finish. It's different from the wisdom that knows that things pass. This is wisdom. If we're struggling with something, if there's something difficult, sure, we know that in time it passes. But it's very different than waiting for something to change. So being willing to question this view of cessation, being willing to give up waiting. Firstly, we have to notice where we're waiting. This is why we have this inquiry. Notice those ways that we're waiting, leaning forward, wanting something else. See the waiting. Recognize the waiting. And one of the ways that we will be willing to let go of the waiting isn't through any injunction that we now, thou must let go of waiting. Turn towards the waiting. Turn towards the body in the sitting when we're waiting for the bell. You know, ten minutes before the end. God, I wish the bell would ring. Or whatever it might be for you. Turn towards that and what do we see? We see a being suffering. We see ourselves suffering. We see ourselves not at rest. We see ourselves skimming along the surface not quite able to sit in where we are. And if we're willing to turn towards that condition, we see that it is very, very painful to wait. In the mind, it may hold out many promises. Oh, when the bell goes, I'll get a cup of tea, or whatever it may be. But if we really feel into our being, it's very, very painful to wait. Why? Look in and see 
what that's like because in a moment of waiting we could say that we've kind of broken away from the truth of this moment of course we haven't actually broken away from it but it's as if we have we've broken away from resting where we are we've kind of gone off on another trajectory sitting above where we are not quite wanting to be in where we are resisting where we are and this even if what we have come to be with is difficult this is much more painful than being with a difficult condition because we're separated in that moment from what is true we're separated in that moment from our depth of our being that know what it is to be with any condition whether it is painful, indifferent or lovely and that is what is most painful to us being at a distance from our depth being on the surface and losing contact with what is more true about us so waiting has this effect of skimming on the surface and this is deeply unsatisfying for us There's also many benefits. If we're willing to give up that hope, it's different from giving up a kind of a, a deep hope, but giving up the hope that says, oh, out there, then it will be okay. If we're willing to give up that kind of superficial hope, we're also, in that moment, giving up the fear that is projecting this moment into the future and says, gosh, if my knee hurts now, it's going to be like this for the rest of the retreat. If my mind is like this now, in this particular state now, oh my God, it's going to be like that for the rest of the retreat. It's also another kind of projection into the future. By being willing willing to give up the waiting for the better moment, we're also giving up the fear of the worst moment. And all we have left is to come back to where we are. So how to hold this? Because really what we're talking about is where we get caught up in time where we get caught up in time with regard to the walking period, the sitting period, the whole retreat, the whole day, the whole of November. You know, has the concept already entered your mind? Been here of the whole of November, if you're here for the whole of November, or the whole two weeks. You know, when these concepts arise, it's the same as when we say, oh God, 45 minutes walking, or ah, you know, it's this whole thing that assumes this huge proportion. Look. Look and see. See, this is a flag, a useful flag. Aha! There's some fear here. There's some fear projected into the future. Can I turn around here? Can I turn around and look in? What's happening right now that is so painful, that's so difficult, that the mind has already moved out to the whole of November? Because to remember that what is arising is only arising in the present. This has been one of the most important teachings for me. 
in practice, especially with practicing when things are, aren't easy, to remember that when the mind starts to say the whole of November, the whole of the day, the whole of the sitting period, that actually what is arising is only arising right now. It's only arising right now. And that is possible. That is manageable. That is holdable. That is seeable, knowable, and possible for us. To see those things, those projections into time, as other flags, flags to say, aha, turn the attention back. What's now? Can I be with this now? And so to hold those concepts of time quite lightly, we can use them wisely here. You know, sometimes it might be that we wake up and think, oh, the whole day, you know. Nothing, nothing much to entertain us if we haven't got a talk or an interview or a work period or whatever it might be. Nothing much in the day. And we can use the concepts wisely of saying, okay, there is a period. There is a period of time between waking up and breakfast. Okay, can I be here for that? There is a period of time from breakfast to lunch. Okay, can I hold that? Can I be there? There is a period of time from lunch until tea. Okay, can that be possible? Can that be my, my work? And there is a period of time from tea till bed. Holding these concepts of time lightly can be a guide for us, can be a pointer to us. And this is very different from holding them in waiting. See if you notice the difference when we're waiting for that first period to be over. Or we're waiting for the period until lunch to be over. Because turning the attention, the inquiry back, what do we notice about the waiting? It's like a kind of no man's land. It's like we're suspended. We're not quite here, we're suspended in time. And this, too, is very, very painful for us. Suspended, but not arrived, not landed where we are. So it is in turning our attention back towards the condition of waiting that starts to allow the compassion to arise for ourselves, to see how painful it is to be waiting for a better moment, be waiting for another moment, be waiting for the end of the sitting, be waiting for the end of November to turn the attention back and see this is a useful, this is a good moment. If we can recognize waiting, this is a valuable moment. Recognizing waiting now, here and now, not only gives us the possibility of coming back to sit where we are right here, where nothing is incomplete, where we don't have to wait for any condition to change, but it also is a training it is also a life training that if we learn what it means to not wait now, then we learn what it means to not wait in our life, not be seeking for something different. It's a bit like the sign in the washing up area, which you might have read, with Thich Han's thing about the washing up. You know, if we're washing up with a view to doing the next thing, it's not just about that moment where we miss our whole life washing up, you know, we miss the whole of the intimacy of the connection with being in that moment. But it's also a kind of training where we're also setting up the conditions in the mind to miss the next moment. 
because then we'll, always, we'll be waiting for that to finish, waiting for the washing up to finish, waiting for the sitting to finish. So the training in turning back towards the waiting is a training in coming back to rest, coming back to being, coming back to arriving and sitting in our seat right where we are. And in this way, we're willing to enter into not postponing paradise anymore. You know, it's, it's the same in the, in the way religious traditions get interpreted, of postponing paradise till somewhere off in the future. It's the same kind of waiting. It's the same kind of waiting that we're conditioned into. And that's what we want to be willing to question. This is where the practice is very radical because it cuts right through that human sentiment of believing that something is out there, out there in the future, when I get the conditions all right. So what's it like in this moment? We can't practice this in the future. We can't wait till the end of the talk to practice not waiting. We can only do it now. We can only ever be it now. What's it like now? to not postpone freedom, to not postpone sitting and resting where we are right now. When we're not clinging on to waiting for something better, and you land in your body, land on your seat or your cushion or your bench, not waiting, and yet alert, ready, poised, we could say. There's a very big difference between waiting and being ready. In, be- in waiting, it's as if we kind of... We already have a lot of knowledge. We're already carrying a lot of baggage when we're waiting. We think, I know, things are going to be better when such and such happens. We have a lot of our own agenda in there. But ready, being ready doesn't have our agenda in it. Being ready in this moment leaves our hands wide open for being touched by the grace of our being right where we are. Sitting right into our seat, standing right where we stand, walking right where we walk, and being invited in to the intimacy of our life, of our life that is actually always connected and is not waiting for anything to call out to us that it is here. So being poised, being ready, is the posture that at times might look like waiting. But if we turn the inquiry in to see, it's very, very different. Being ready, being poised, is a posture of a lot of potential. An attitude of heart and mind that is wide open to what may be the lesson of this moment. So to be able to discern the difference between waiting and being ready.
And in this inquiry we do not only ourselves a great favour, we do a great favour to the world, those around us and the greater world. Because in taking the pressure off, believing that the events of this world, the things of this world, the people of this world, the conditions of this world will really be the thing, the ultimate marker of peace. With the unquestioned view in that, we put a lot of pressure on people, we put a lot of pressure on events, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves to get, to get it right. Being willing to un- unleash ourselves, unravel ourselves from that pressure, we put less and less pressure on the events and people of this world. And it lightens up. We lighten up. We lighten up as we can sit where we are. This is also a great service to each other. So the final question is, what is the cessation of suffering that the Buddha spoke about? This isn't a question that needs an answer. Because it isn't a question that is fathomable by what we already know. But what is that cessation, that coming to an end, that is not dependent upon the births and deaths, the arisings and passings, the world of change? What is that cessation of independence and connectedness that he spoke about? that he pointed to us and said, this is knowable, this is possible to understand. He said, if it wasn't, I wouldn't teach it. What is that? And can our practice be dedicated to understanding that for our benefit and for the benefit of all beings everywhere? this poem. It's a wake-up poem from Kabir. Friend, hope for the guest while you are alive. Jump into experience while you are alive. Think and think while you are alive. What you call salvation belongs to the time before death. If you don't break your ropes while you are alive, Do you think ghosts will do it after? The idea that the soul will join with the ecstatic just because the body is rotten, that is all fantasy. What is found now is found then. If you find nothing now, you will simply end up with an apartment in the city of death. If you make love with the divine now, in the next life you will have the face of satisfied desire. So plunge into the truth. Find out who the teacher is. Believe in the great sound. So plunge into the truth. Find out who the teacher is. Believe in the great sound.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.